Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hi there, it's Laura Wasser. And if anyone knows how much divorce sucks, it's me. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces. Creating peace in families is how I lost my voice. From the top of the food chain all the way down to my very first case, which was my own divorce when I was 25. I wrote the book on divorce, or I wrote a book on divorce. It's called It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, How to Divorce Without Destroying Your Family or Bankrupting Yourself. That book became a bestseller because it presented another option for ending a marriage, one that doesn't necessarily include lawyers and one that leaves more money in both parties' bank accounts and less animosity in their hearts. We created It's Over Easy, the one-stop breakup divorce resource online with the same principles in mind. So welcome to the Divorce Sucks podcast, where we talk about breaking up, getting divorced, and moving on. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, I'm Laura Wasser on the Divorce Sucks podcast. I'm here with my friend and producer, Johnny Rains. Good and- morning. <laughs> And this is the Sunny Side Up Report. Welcome. Today we're going to be speaking with Stacey Feinberg, who is a family law attorney and colleague of mine here in Southern California. Um, Stacey and I will talk a little bit about some of the best uh, parking in courthouses locally and some tips if you are getting divorced in California. One thing that I wanted to talk on the Sunny Side Up Report about is there's an article or articles that has been making the rounds this past week. The divorce rate in the U.S. keeps dropping a new study says we can thank millennials. Thank you, millennials. Thank you, millennials. Um, many people have sent this article to me. Many. I'm like, guys, I got the article. I'm, I, I, read, I read the news. Uh, I definitely think it's a good thing. People are like, oh, are you bummed? Divorce rates dropping. You're going to be out of a job. You don't, look bummed. Like, you don't look bummed at all. By the time these millennials are getting divorced, my hope is that I will not be practicing law. However, that being said, I'm happy. I'm happy people are waiting longer to get married. I'm happy people are deciding not to to get married at all if that's what fits their circumstances. Right. I am pleased to hear that millennials are taking the wisdom of the generations before them and having discussions about marriage, having prenups when they do get married, and perhaps waiting longer to throw themselves into a relationship which is supposedly till death do Maybe us part. Maybe it's just because they're lazy, though. I don't think it's because they're lazy in, with regard to this. The other thing that people are starting to write about now that we're in Q4 of 2018 is is the new tax bill. Um, and um, you guys should definitely speak with tax uh, professionals, but what you need to know is that if you are getting divorced in 2019, anytime after December 31st, 2018, your alimony, spousal support, maintenance will be treated differently than if you got divorced and had a court order regarding spousal support payments prior to the end of this year. All through time and until December 31st, 2018, divorce or alimony payments, rather, were taxable to the recipient as though it were income to him or her and deductible by the payor. And that sometimes would leave a big gap because if the person who is paying support is in a higher tax bracket, he or she would get a break on that. Now support payments will be net. It's something to think about. It's something to talk to your tax preparers about. Something to be aware of if you are venturing into divorce in 2000, either the last quarter of 2018 or the beginning of 2019. Uh, Johnny, just tell us tell us all of the reality stars. Well, I mean, 
mean, the divorce. Listen, I know it, you're it, chomping at the it, bit. It wouldn't be the sunny side up report without some good news from our friends in reality television. So at Bravo TV just announced that Real Housewives star of Orange County, Gina Kirschenheider, she talks about her divorce. And you'd be happy to know that she and her husband are now going to be co-parenting. She says that they're still friends. It just their family still exists. It just looks different now. So it's almost like the ripples of the message that you are talking about and trying to communicate. It's even made it to Orange County. Listen to this quote from Gina Gershenheider. Although we don't have this romantic connection anymore, it doesn't mean you can't be a family anymore, she explained. This idea that you're divorced and no longer a family to me is so backwards and dated and old school, and I refuse to subscribe to it, and we're doing the best that we can to keep our family together. It just looks different now. Gina... Brava. That's exactly what we're trying to get the message out. So if it has to be gotten out via reality television, I'm all for it. So be it. And brava for bravo. Yes. (laughs) The other thing, speaking of uh, big news in fashion and pop culture, for those of you who still haven't seen the Fall Porter magazine issue uh, featuring the lovely Laura Wasser, Hollywood's divorce queen, you should check out some of the pictures. The clothes are great. Uh, The lawyer who brokered Brad and Angelina's breakup, as well as countless other A-list divorces, surprisingly still believes in happy endings, but on on her terms. Also, one of my favorite uh, bands, Mumford and Sons, they talk oh, death, yeah. divorce, drugs, and depression. Jesus, the four Ds. Light stuff. Um, on uh, this installment of Kyle Meredith with uh, Ben Lovett and Ted Dwan of Mumford and Sons, and they talk about themes of their new record. So they also take listeners behind the scenes of their new arena stage show and explain what makes Delta such a wildly experimental record. So check that out because I'm sure you're interested to see or hear what these guys think of death, divorce, drugs, and depression. Did you hear about that divorce study from Stockholm, Sweden, that says that if you work with people of the opposite sex, you're more likely to get divorced? No. Was that because you want to be with those people? It, it's They did some kind of, of study, uh, you know, in the journal Biology Letters, sociology researchers from Stockholm University presented evidence that relationships become less stable when there are lots of opportunities to meet a new mate in the workplace. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I work with a lot of, I mean, I've been in a lot of workplaces and, and I've been married now 16 years with my husband for 20 years. We met on the dance floor in the 90s. and At I, rage. <laughs> at rage. Yeah. Raging at rage, no less. And I don't know if that study, maybe it's millennials. Maybe. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe, maybe it's it the is. millennials. The other story that, as, as you can imagine, uh, caught my eye being having my, my past in reality as, as, as I do. Uh, Jersey Shore's Jay Wow files for divorce from husband Roger Matthews three years after they're married, after they were married in a celebrity packed wedding. Don't care. My good friends over at 495 Productions, I'm sure, will be capturing some of the divorce on tape. Um, So I look forward to watching the new season of the Jersey Shore Vacation on MTV. And finally, a plug for a book that came out this week, Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger, from Rebecca Triester, the New York Times best-selling author of All the Single Ladies, whom Anne Lamott called the most brilliant voice on feminism in this country, comes a vital, incisive exploration 
exploration into the transformative power of female anger and its ability to transcend into a political movement. I think we're seeing a little bit of that now, folks. Absolutely. Be careful, old white men. Take cover. <laughs> Speaking of old white men, one, one more thing about uh, the young lady that wrote this book. Uh, Rebecca Triester, I heard an interview with her talking about some of the themes that she covers in that book. Oddly enough, speaking about race and, you know, empowerment and civil rights, many of the women who were trailblazers for the uh, Me Too movement and the female empowerment movement movement were women of color, which one of the points she makes in the book is that they get erased and it's the wealthy white actresses who become well known now and as the trailblazers for the Me Too movement. But she goes all the way back to the 1970s talking about the first sexual harassment cases, um, which were uh, filed by women of color. Then you could f- go fast forward deeper into the 20th century with Anita Hill, um, who, as we, I mean, we've seen Carrie Washington's movie on HBO, I mean, she was a tough road for her moving into this, this century in the 21st century. And, and now, you know, it's like finally um, she's written this great book. Which must make the brown women even angrier, I can imagine. I'm, but I do believe that as a women's movement, we are coming together all races and ethnicities and I do think we are seeing the power of gender kind of supersede everything else and at least that's what I'm seeing with regard to this Me Too movement and people want to hear from women of all races and ethnicities in terms of what's happened to them and where we're going so um, check out the book. Speaking of female empowerment, today we got Stacy Feinberg, another family attorney in the studio, with Laura Wasser, who if who doesn't embody uh, female empowerment if Laura Wasser does not. So looking forward to today's episode. Do you find yourself distracted, forgetting things, making mistakes at work? A quality night's sleep makes all the difference. The right mattress is the difference between resting and just lying down. The Lisa mattress is the product of more than 30 years of experience in mattress engineering and hundreds of hours of sleep testing. Comprised of three foam layers that provide cooling pressure relief, body contouring, and support, over 300,000 happy Lisa sleepers agree. The Lisa mattress gives us the rest we need. Order your Lisa mattress online today at lisa.com slash laura with promo code Laura, L-A-U-R-A, and try it risk-free for 100 nights. It ships direct to your door in a convenient box with free shipping and free returns. Find the right mattress for you at lisa.com slash Laura and get the rest you need tonight. Get up to $160 off the Lisa mattress or $235 off the luxury Sapira mattress and free shipping on the Lisa mattress at lisa.com slash Laura and enter promo code Laura at checkout. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash Laura, promo code Laura. Check it out today. Hi guys, it's Laura Wasser. Today's episode of Divorce Sucks is about family law, and this episode is for all of you out there trying to figure out if you need an attorney to get divorced. Some of the things an attorney can do for you in a divorce proceeding include communicating on your behalf to the other party, or your soon-to-be ex, and when you hire an attorney, we also negotiate on your behalf, and we generally charge a retainer and an hourly rate. So if you need an advocate, then you will need an attorney. I am finding that many people 
feel that given the knowledge and the law that they can do it on their own. So one of the things my guests and I will be talking about is whether you really need an attorney. People also hire us before they get married to work with them on creating prenuptial agreements. And interestingly, you must be represented by two different attorneys when you have a prenuptial agreement if it's to be valid and enforceable in California or New York State. And I would imagine the other states would advise the same. My guest today is also an attorney and a mom. She is the esteemed Ms. Stacy Feinberg Esquire, who specializes in family law. Stacy is also an online blogger, and she was recognized by Super Lawyers as a rising star for family law in 2011, 2012, and 2013. She concentrates much of her practice in the areas of high-conflict child custody matters, parenting issues, guardianship of a minor, and post-judgment modifications. That's not the most interesting thing Stacy will tell you that, uh, in my opinion, that she does. And I'm sitting there and I'm pumping before court. No wonder she has a fear of parking lots. And She's I'm, got her breasts and exposed. And I'm sitting there and it's like, no, well, I have like a thing over it. But okay. it's like, and I'm just like reading a book or something. And then all of a sudden there's like a knock <gasps> on my window and it was opposing counsel. Oh, that's horrible. And he's like motioning for me to roll down the window <laughs> and I like roll it down a little bit and he's like hey what are you doing and I'm like milking what does it look like I'm doing I know and I was like I was like see you in there bro and like went back up and since then now I I now I just hate all parking welcome to the divorce sex podcast Stace. thank you Laura it's very nice to be here yeah I've been practicing family law uh for about 13 years. I actually started off in general litigation at a big firm in Century City. And I kind of stumbled into family law while I was there. And I decided that I wanted to move away from big firm life and do family law. And um, that's what I did. And I ended up in Colorado for a few years, and I exclusively practiced family law there. And then I came back about 10 years ago, and I've been uh, practicing family law with my current firm since. And your current firm is? Cypress, LLP. And that's not a family law firm. Right. You just head up their family law department. Correct. They do all kinds of stuff, uh, general litigation, corporate, IP. But what else? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) That's my favorite part of it. So, okay, I'm also a stand-up comedian. That's not exactly a fair thing to say. So I've done stand-up comedy. Okay. Um, I did not do it when I was in Los Angeles. Uh, I moved to L.A. for law school Mm -hmm. in 2000. In the year 2000. Whenever I say 2000, (laughs) that thing from Conan comes up. Um, But... I never wanted to do stand-up comedy here because it was very intimidating because right. these are people that are actually trying to do it for their livelihood, and it's very intense, and it's very competitive. Um, so when we moved to Colorado, that's when I started doing it. I'm probably the only person who like moved to Colorado, and that's where to I... To do stand-up. Right. And? Did you love it? I loved it, and... Um, I haven't really been doing it since I've been back in L.A. I've done it for some charity events for different, like, school stuff. I did it one year for my husband's birthday. I did, like, a stand-up comedy show, and I basically, like, made fun of him. Right, like a roast. Yes. Okay. Um, See, I have a new goal. Like, I have many goals that I set, but my new goal is to get you, like, up on stage at either the comedy store or the improv. I think that would be amazing. You, uh... (laughs) I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that you'd think that was amazing just yet. <laughs> okay. Wait. Um, but yeah, no, I liked doing stand-up comedy, and I think I still. I mean, just, that's just my personality in general. Like, I'm, 
I'm sort of I'm super sarcastic, like very you know typical East Coast Jew. Uh, I make fun of myself all the time. I make fun of other people all the time. And I think, you know, me in my life, like Stacy, the mom at home, Stacy out with her friends, or Stacy, the lawyer at work, it's all the same person. I don't change who I am no matter where I am. So. Basically, I'm telling you, I have no professional demeanor whatsoever. <laughs> well, I was going to say, how does your sense of humor um, affect your practice? I mean, I know we all employ a great deal of gallows humor doing what we do with colleagues. But with, with your clients, is it something that you find helpful? Do you? I mean, you must know your audience a little. You're very successful in your field. So how, tell me how that kind of works. I mean, I think that obviously we're you and I are dealing with people that are going through what is probably going to be one of the hardest times in their life. Sometimes they're at the lowest point in their life. I think that if I can get people to laugh a little bit about what's going on, it helps take the sting out of some of the pain. And I think it helps also just give them a sense of lightness that like this, we are going to get through this, you know? Um, Oftentimes I'll have people say to me, like, you know, how am I going to get through this? This feels like it's never going to end, you know, especially if they're really in the thick of like a custody battle or or something, you know, really stressful and intense. And I'm, you know, very quick to say, all right, look, you're going to get through this. You know, you're at the bottom of a well. You're looking up. There's no ladder. There's no rope. So either we can work together and kind of climb our way out of it one hand over the other or... You know, we can die at the bottom of the hole, rent an RV. I was going to say we could rent an RV and start cooking meth, but it's really complicated to do that. So like, let's go with option one. Got it. Got it. And sometimes just getting a little smile out of them can, can help relax them and allow them to start having a a clearer head about making good long-term decisions. Putting it in perspective. Totally agree. Um, I know that Johnny really wants us to talk about seven funny pickup lines to try at the grocery store that aren't too cheesy. Um, I guess this was in Elite Daily over the weekend. Uh, Corey Lane suggests some of these pickup lines. It's almost, by the way, they are totally too cheesy in my opinion. Um, Let's just see. How funny meeting you here. Can you imagine the possibilities if we got together? Well, here's, this is one for you, Johnny. You know I love a good sausage. That's a pickup line? That's like that's like stalking, in my opinion. Have you been to West Hollywood? Yeah, I guess so. Not to be cheesy, but you're looking really Gouda. <laughs> okay. I hope that your comedy's better than this. This is pretty bad. Yeah, I know. Why is anyone picking up anyone at the grocery If you ran into me at the grocery store... You'd run in the other direction. I'm like, yeah. I, I mean, for me. For if I, you saw me, I just, that's not... But don't I'm. you think, don't you think it's better to meet somebody in person than on a dating app? I mean, if you were single, you know, if you just got divorced, you're getting out there, like, you, you don't have a lot of options these days outside of dating apps, so why not the supermarket? No. I feel like people, first of all, does anyone even go to the supermarket anymore? I haven't been Good to a point. supermarket. I go to the supermarket, but I am definitely not there, like, cruising the aisles. <laughs> I'm certainly not, like, dating right now because I'm in a long-term relationship. But I definitely think that if I were, 
I would totally want to be online because you get like, you know, Stacey and I are attorneys. We like to do our due diligence. We like to do our research. We like to get all the info. Now, sometimes like they include a picture of themselves when they're 50 pounds lighter or 10 years younger or whatever. But for the most part, you're on, you're getting some good intel about these people. Somebody coming up to me at the supermarket and going, you know, I love a good sausage or is that a banana in your pocket? You're happy to see me. I'm like, ew, that to me would not be like somebody that I'd be interesting, interested in getting to know better. You're not interested in the possibilities. Not the possibilities or the Gouda. Um, As we're talking about this, I'm reminded of my conversations with Sean Gold um, about kind of just, like I said, shifting your perspective to get to the next chapter, talking about dating, talking about this too shall pass and getting through it. Um, I mean, divorce is serious business for attorneys, but I agree that seeing the humor, albeit gallows sometimes, in your situation can help you get through what may seem like, as Stacy called it, the worst time of your life. And I named the website It's Over Easy because it was kind of a funny way to describe something that sucks. Same with the podcast. Divorce sucks. Um, and so, you know, again... When when we are doing what seems to be a really, really serious and miserable kind of a job, we're doing it. We're the people that are kind of pulling people through it. We're the captains of that boat. And so we have to maintain not only our professionalism, but our sense of humor. Um, you know, I was driving to court the other day and I was thinking about, I know you've probably appeared in all of these courthouses, how much better the parking is in the Santa Monica courthouse. It's less expensive and there's more available than it is at Stanley Mosque downtown or certainly than Van Nuys. Thoughts on that? Thoughts on parking? Parking. Um, well, the, I there's a lot that I go to in downtown that's like my lot. Um, that's not the underground one. Right. Those kind of scare me. I have weird fears about that. But I. About underground parking? Yeah. Is this like post 9 11 or no, just generally? No, I just don't like it. Is it an earthquake thing? No, it's like a rape thing. I just oh. get scared, like being. Does that. That sounds crazy. No, it doesn't. Look how excited Johnny just got. I don't it's like. like maybe like, the, just, now you're just, not going to go to the market either, too, eventually. Well, that's why Instacart's changed my life. <laughs> um, but literally. You can have Instacart. Right. Like how happy you'd be. I went to, I remember after I went back to work, after having my daughter, I remember going, but I I like these open air lots. Right. And I'm sitting there and I'm pumping before court. No wonder she has a fear of parking lots. She's got her breasts exposed. And I'm sitting there and it's like, no, I had like a thing over it, but it's like, and I'm just like reading a book or something. And then all of a sudden there's like a knock (gasps) on my window and it was opposing counsel. Oh, that's horrible. And he's like motioning for me to roll down the window <laughs> and I like roll it down a little bit and he's like hey what are you doing and I'm like milking what does it look like I'm doing I know and I was like I was like see you in there bro and like went back up and since then now I I now I just hate all parking well yes and and I'm assuming you're not pumping anymore so there's that I always would go into one of like the judges chambers particularly the female ones I would say can I go in your chambers and pump but then one time I didn't bring my pumping stuff and I was in court and it was a very long day. And finally, at the end of the day, I mean, I, you know, any any mom has experienced this, maybe not necessarily in court, but like my, my I just exploded. I had a boob explosion in court in Stanley Mosque. I've had that. Yeah. where Like there's like rings. By around. the way, that has happened at the market, too, because when I was at the market, clearly nobody asked me out on this occasion when I there was a baby crying and, you know, hearing a baby cry can make that happen. Okay. So you like the open air lots. Yes. But how much does that one cost? 
sixteen dollars. Oh, less than my twenty dollar music center parking. When That's I what I'm saying. I don't do the music right. center. I know because you get 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 raped. Okay, so just for our listeners, in case you guys don't know, there are many branch courts within counties. So in Los Angeles County, there's three or four different, three or four, seven or eight different branch courts. And so the main court that we will but appear not in, not all of them offer family law right. services. Right. Right. So like Beverly Hills doesn't have a family law court. Malibu doesn't have a family law court. The pe- parking ticket courts, yes, they do. In any event, Stanley Mosque is our courthouse downtown that has a family law section. It has the most family law departments in Los Angeles County. But then there's Van Nuys, there's Santa Monica. Johnny seems extremely interested about the parking at these places, but let's talk a little bit about the branch courts and where you've appeared and who you like just in terms of judicial officers, not necessarily by name, but just where you find the most, um, I don't want to say pleasant, but the most efficient experience. Um, I've had actually really good experiences in Van Nuys. I think that's true. Ventura, actually, by the way, I know not L.A. County, a great judicial officer up there, great experiences. My client did throw up on me because he had been out the night before, but that didn't really affect the, the, the ruling. Judge Smiley. Hi, Judge Smiley. He's really good. He's a really good judge. Um, the Santa Monica I like because it's, well, at least in my mind, I think it's the most casual one. And there's an open air parking lot, too, by the way, in and Santa Monica. Is. So it's, it's, you can just <laughs> breathe the sea air. You're so close to the ocean. Um, and the homeless people. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I... Went to Santa Monica Courthouse, uh, I guess it was a couple of months ago, and I was waiting to check in, but I was dressed in like kind of like black yoga pants that I was trying to pass off as work pants <laughs> and like a cardigan sweater that I was trying to pass off as a blazer. And the check-in bailiff was like, where's your attorney? And I'm like, I am the attorney. And she's like, you're wearing sneakers. And I'm like, they're it's, cool sneakers. It's Santa Monica. I know. She was not She wasn't excited. having any of it? No. I tried a case there, and it went for three months, and they all really liked my shoes. All of the people that were the courthouse staff there were very – every day they were interested in seeing my shoes. An- another interesting story regarding courthouses, again, not in L.A. County, but this is up in San Francisco – um, most a lot of the work that both Stacy and I do, we do with renta judges, which we talked about. I think last week, Jill Robbins is a renta judge, and she, and she doesn't like to be called that. She's a neutral. We hire her a private judge, whatever. But when we actually do have to go to the courthouse and we're on the normal docket, um, sometimes that takes a little bit longer. It's a more formal process. But I was up in San Francisco, meant I had to sleep at a hotel very close to the courthouse, and I had one of those like rolly briefcase things that I was rolling. So I'm like wearing my you know five-inch Louboutin shoes, and I'm rolling through the area where the courthouse is. The San, San Francisco County Courthouse is very highly populated by homeless people. And I actually rolled, it was Melanie, my partner Melanie Mandels at Wasser, Cooperman and Mandels. I, it was her rolly bag, and I, I unfortunately rolled it through uh, um, some homeless poo. Yeah, yeah I, I've happened. cleaned up homeless pee in front of my, homeless poo in front of my house in Venice, <laughs> which was which is awesome. That's sort of the charm of Venice. That's why the that's why the real estate's so expensive. Exactly. Um, actually, speaking of parking and rent to judges, <laughs> yes. One time I was coming out of a private judging situation, and there was a big sign that said like. No credit cards, cash only. Mm. And I was pulling out 
through. I think the machine had broken. And I go to look at my wallet, and I did not have any cash in there. And then by this point, like, cars are starting to pile up mm. behind me, and they're honking at me, and I'm freaking out, and I'm trying to push the help button, like, you know, someone help me. And finally, I just get out of the car, and I realize that the judge is behind me. Oh, you're right. So I go up, and I knock on his window and I asked if I could borrow 20 bucks. <laughs> well, and did he did you yeah. have to show him your boobs? No, oh, okay. I didn't Just show checking. my boobs, but he did give me money and then like I was like we can go to an ATM like the minute we get out I will repay you and he's, he's like gracious Just, about it. He was like we're good so much like, you know. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. Watch over 100 television channels and thousands of movies on demand and completely free. Pluto TV never asks for a credit card. You don't even need to sign up to watch for free. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. Are you getting that it's free? What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again by downloading Pluto TV. You can download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. Get to Old Navy Saturday for 50% off all sweatshirts. Frost-free puffer vests for 15 bucks for adults, 12 bucks for kids, and leggings. Just 8 bucks for women, 5 bucks for girls. Saturday at Old Navy. Valid 10-5, select vests only. 50% off excludes in-store clearance, active and licensed. Alexa isn't the only one with breaking news. Make sure to hang around at the end of this podcast for the latest breaking headlines on the AP News Minute. Everyone's favorite Orange County power couple is back. Congratulations to Heather and Terry Dubro for the release of their latest book, The Dubro Diet. Available at Amazon.com and everywhere else books are sold. I know. I think people are really going to like it, so I'm very much looking forward to that. For more quality advice, check out Dr. and Mrs. Guinea Pig every Tuesday and Heather Dubrow's World every Thursday and Friday on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. sucks isn't just a fact. It's the name of this podcast, and it's true. We talk about getting divorced and parking and boobs and poo and breaking up with people on the show, but we do believe that the best is yet to come. Yesterday is gone, and tomorrow has not happened yet. Today in the present is what matters, and today we're in the studio with California divorce attorney Stacy Feinberg, and one of the things we want you to come away with after listening to this download is a better understanding of the parking in the Los Angeles family law system and the divorce process. So you can make the best decision when you're deciding between paying an attorney to represent you or keeping your money and mediating your own dissolution by resolving things um, between the two of you. So, Stacy, when would you advise a potential client that they don't really need our services and, as an attorney? Um, I think when there's no kids and there's no real property um, and there's no complicated business interests that mm -hmm. need to be looked at, I think that the way that the law is set up in California, it's pretty straightforward. And so I think in that situation, it can be navigated without an attorney. And, okay, just going back to the first thing you said about kids, because I get this a lot from people in conjunction with it's over easy. They're like, well, if you have kids, you can't do that. If two parents really want to be in control of their own destinies, and I've definitely seen a trend in the last five to eight years of people coming to me and going, 
we got the custody. We already figured this out. We need your help kind of being a scrivener and writing it up for us, but we don't need you to help us figure out custody. We know our kids. We have, you know, a good marriage therapist or co-parenting counselor or somebody that's helped us. So we got that. Why if why do you think that people need attorneys to figure out custody? I, do, I mean, I don't. And I often say to my client, like, the more that you can work out with your soon-to-be ex, the better it's going to be. Because the guy in the robe who has hundreds of cases a week doesn't know you, doesn't know your kid, doesn't know the details of your life, and is not going to, and not going to be able to make decisions for you guys that are going to make sense necessarily. And so it is always better for the parents to work together to come up with that. I would say if they're unable to resolve some of those issues, that's when an attorney needs to step in and right. help. Like I have a move away case right now. There's We're, we're not resolving that. She's either going to move or not move. And so there's no like, I mean, we tried for many hours yesterday. It just didn't work out. And I also find that sometimes the judicial officers, and maybe this is just a facet of them being really, really overworked and having too many people in their courtroom, they get frustrated with the parties and sometimes the parties' attorneys if they can't figure out simple things like Wednesday nights. Like, can you not figure this out? Do you really need me to bang my gavel and tell you who should be having the kids on Wednesday night? Alternate. Figure it out. Well, that's sort of what I always say. Like, there's really no reason to ever litigate anything unless you're backed into a corner and the options that are being presented are not options that you can swallow. So if you have one parent who's like, I want full custody and you can see the kid once a year, well, then you're going to end up in court. Right. Um, So the question is, is how much can you compromise and how much can you work with the other party to come up with something that doesn't make you want to throw up? Is it incumbent on us as attorneys to say to clients, I really don't think that's going to happen. You're not going to have full custody of these children because that is not likely what's in their best interest. And so going to fight for full custody is an unrealistic expectation, and I need to tell you that as your attorney. I I have to tell people all the time that their idea of how things are going to go is just not how it's going to go. And I've definitely lost business because I've said I can't advocate for that position. It doesn't it doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't make me comfortable and I I'm not going to be able to go to bat for you because I genuinely feel that it's not in the best interest of your kids or you for that matter. And then have you had them go elsewhere and then call you later and be like you were so right it, no, it did not happen that way. I found somebody that was willing to blow sunshine up my ass. I spent a lot of money and I, what you said was going to happen is what happened. Yes. And that's also sort of what That's sort of what is the inherent conflict of clients and family lawyers Mm -hmm. is that litigation and fighting is what brings in the most money. But it's usually, if not always, to the detriment of not only the finances of the client, but also, you know, the emotional well-being of the entire family. So that inherent conflict is a problem. And I think that there are a lot of family attorneys in Los Angeles and elsewhere who don't take their ethical obligation that seriously um, because they are interested in making money. Right. I mean, it's why people 
don't love divorce attorneys. Again, I don't know that I would even say that it's like an ethical obligation for me. I just want to win. So if I'm going to go to court, I want to be advocating a position that's going to be victorious. And so, like you said, if somebody comes in and goes, well, I just want full custody, I'm going to go, well, that's never going to happen. Let's talk about something that might happen and is realistic and with very few exceptions. Again, Please don't anyone quote me. If your spouse or co-parent is abusing your children, molesting your children, um, abusing drugs or alcohol when your children are in their custody, yes, that may be a basis for at least on a temporary term having full custody. But short of that, and getting back to the ethics, I believe, but I also think most of our sitting bench officers believe that having frequent and continuous contact with both parents is in the child's best interest. So maybe it is a dovetailing of ethical obligations and just the urge to crush in court. So as Stacy said earlier in the podcast, she also practiced in Colorado, which is not a community property state, and she's been of counsel to some cases that um, happened in New York State. Colorado and New York are not community property states. They're equitable distribution states. And I just learned something that I did not know, which is that Colorado um, allows for common law marriage. And Stacy was saying, like, you know, there's plenty of people walking around California or have called me and said, well, I've been living together for seven years. So I get half of everything, right? And I'm like, no, why would why would that happen? Well, common law marriage. So tell us a little bit about common law marriage in Colorado. Well, what do you want to know about <laughs> common law marriage in Colorado? So, it's it, it's about um, – it is a little bit more like Marvin, but it's a little bit more based on like the perception. Right, like the implied contract and, and what, what people how you hold you. yourselves out. Yes. Ah. yes, so you have to start parading in like witnesses and you're bringing like mail – that's to right. Mr. Like wedding invitations to Mr. and Mrs. Right. Smith to be like, see, we were invited to this wedding. That and seems they like her. such an evidentiary problem. Like, I don't think uh, it's going to last very long. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I don't I only when I was there, I think I only had one case where we were trying to deal with that. So for our listeners, so common law marriage is something that happens basically after either a period of time or some kind of perception holding themselves out that one party would say, oh, I want to be treated as though we were married and I want the benefits of being a married person in this state. A Marvin action that Stacey and I have referred to is like a palimony case. A Marvin action is Lee and Michelle Marvin. Their case, I think, took place in the late 60s, early 70s, Maybe um, they had lived together for a long time. They did kind of hold themselves out as married. She called herself Michelle Marvin and she came to court and said, and actually, interestingly, in California, that is not a family law action. That no, is that civil. is a civil action. And the plaintiff says, I believed that we were married. I thought that we should be treated as though we're married. I think he or she should support me. I think he or she should share the income and assets that were acquired during this period of time because I thought that we were married, which I'm always kind of like, you did, huh? Did you have a wedding? Now, very interestingly... Until same-sex marriages were legalized, we had a lot of same-sex couples that would come in and say, well, we really did hold ourselves out as married, and we did have this amazing commitment ceremony, and I thought that I would be treated as a spouse under the laws of the state of California, because if we would have been able to get married, we certainly would have gotten married, but we couldn't, and therefore that's why I'm here. That, in my opinion, fortunately, no longer happens because... If you didn't get married, then you probably knew you weren't married, and you shouldn't be asking to be treated as though you were married. 
But a lot of Marvin actions, or at least the ones that I've dealt with, it's not that people thought they were married. They thought that they were being treated as though they were married or that they should be. They'd given other things up, given jobs, homes, opportunities. Right. It's more like a contract yes. case. Yes. Um, and whether that contract was written or oral or implied, and there was detrimental reliance, which is like someone gave up a job or made a choice that was not in their best interest because of what was promised to them. Um, actually, when I take Marvin cases, I end up, you know, having to partner with uh, one of my colleagues at my firm who strictly does civil. litigation, right. civil litigation, because it's it's it starts to get uh, it starts to get really heavy in terms of all of the you know rules and procedure and technical right. stuff that's sort of outside of the family law court. Moral of this story, folks, is if you feel like you have some kind of a contract with the person that you have a relationship with, get it in writing. Talk about it. As we always say on the Divorce Sex Podcast, communication is hugely important. So just kind of going along for years, giving up other job opportunities, housing opportunities, dating opportunities in favor of being with someone but not really having any guarantees of what the arrangement is can be very uh, detrimental and dangerous. I didn't know that there were any states that had common law marriage anymore, but that's certainly something we can talk it about. It might on the not next. be called common law marriage. It might have like a different name, like your. F- <laughs> um, but the talking about just what you were saying about talking about things and getting it in writing. I think it's even if you're married, I think it's really important that throughout your marriage, you're constantly communicating about finances and money, because. One of the biggest issues I find is that I have people that come into my office and they're like, well, we're going to get divorced, but we're fine. I have this big house in the hills and my kids are at this really expensive private school and everyone's driving a Range Rover and we're great. And then you start to peel away what's going on financially and it's like, okay, well, actually your house has 10 mortgages. (laughs) School's paid for on a credit card. And you have no retirement, so let's talk about what you want to do for a living because it's time to go back to work. And it's like the biggest punch in the face. Right. It's like the psycho. That's really, yeah, no, it's very scary. And I think, look, particularly for women, not to be chauvinistic, but if you have somehow abdicated control over your finances in your marriage or your relationship, you know, take a minute at some point this fall and and look at what actually is going on in your situation because if you're in a if you're in a marriage or a cohabitation situation, both of you should be aware of the finances. I find many people do not like to have this conversation. And many women particularly say, well, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to ask him about the finances. Guess what? If you're getting divorced, everything in the state of California is going to be discoverable. And so you're going to find out. So you might as well find out beforehand so that you can properly prepare yourself emotionally and financially for what road you may be going down. Well, also, I, you know, I would say that making a point of it to do an annual review um, with your spouse about where the money is, how much we're spending, are we saving, what's the larger plan, and a good time to do that is when it's tax time because oftentimes you're already meeting with your accountant and um, you're having to gather up a lot of that information anyway. and so I think it's really important that at a minimum, uh, couples make an effort to sit down, especially when there's one spouse that's really not 
as involved in the day-to-day finances to get an overview and to know what's going on. And and if you are a woman who is afraid to rock that boat, uh, I would say two things. Number one, it's way scarier to find out that you don't have any savings or any money as opposed to asking about it during the marriage. Because at least if you find out during the marriage that things aren't going well, that's when you can say, what do we need to be doing differently? Totally agree. To change the course. You might even avoid divorce. Totally agree. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes the person who's actually in control of the finances and the breadwinner would love to have more of a partner involved, would love to have somebody that says, what's going on? How can I help? How can we do this together? Absolutely think that's true. And if he or she is not forthcoming about this information, that in and of itself is kind of a weird, sketchy problem. I I think that not only around tax time, but also many couples somehow just fail to discuss estate plans. No wills, no trusts. What's going to happen if your plane goes down? What's going to happen if you get sick? Um, again, this these are things that can be discussed as part of how do we keep this relationship healthy? It doesn't have to be, by the way, I'm planning for divorce and I need to know where all the bodies are buried. Literally. <laughs> it's an estate plan. As I was writing, it doesn't have to be that way. I wanted to educate people considering a divorce about the ways to keep more money in their bank account and how to avoid destroying their families in the process of ending their marriage and starting their next chapters. Um, Sometimes hiring an attorney is unavoidable. And some examples of that, again, are if one person simply will not participate in the process with you, if there is domestic violence or some kind of drug or alcohol abuse, it may be difficult to get your other, um, your co-parent or spouse involved. Uh, Stacey, tell me some other things that you've seen in your practice that kind of make it difficult for a couple to do it on their own. Well, one of the things that's actually been popping up more and more is gambling and other breaches of fiduciary duty. Um, and the thing that's crazy is, is that, you know, sometimes there's breaches of fiduciary duty that you can't uncover. Because, for example, I had a case a few years back where the husband uh, was a compulsive gambler, but he was putting most of his gambling debts on credit cards and bank accounts and having the statements sent to his business partner's home. So there was no way for the wife to know that this was happening. Um, But he was also doing a fair amount of gambling on their credit card through their bank account. And these were things that were readily available for her to uncover had she been checking the statements and been involved. And so for the money that was owed involving the secret cards, that is fraud. But for the money that was just being spent that she chose to not investigate, that's just being an idiot. (laughs) And I get this question all the time. Um, Misappropriation claims. So husband's having an affair. Um, It's gone on for a couple of years. As a part of this relationship, he has put girlfriend up in an apartment in the marina. He's purchased several... Why is everyone in the marina? I don't know. That's that's, that's the affair apartment area. (laughs) I I live near the marina and there's this mall there. I call it the Boca Mall because uh-huh. it looks like it came right out of Florida in 1982. It's like glass block and there's like a CPK and it's the saddest <laughs> mall ever. But I go there all the time. I'm like addicted to it. And it's literally just filled with girlfriends 
Right. That are in those apartments. And they're in those apartments. And, you know, he's spending. And they're she, eating a chopped salad at CPK. They're having the CPK chopped salad. Then they're going, what are the stores that are in there? Like, where are they spending their money? Okay. So there's um, there's that, like, one store that sells, like, a lot of, like, Ed Hardy t-shirts and a lot of things that have, like, um, gold. Bedazzled. Yes. The sequins. And, yes. yes. There's, there's a, a lot, lot of sequins. bedazzled. Wow. It came out of Calabasas and moved all the way to the marina. So anyway, all of those... Ed Hardy sweatshirts, the um, Brandy Melville kind of, you know, women in their 30s that are still dressing like they're in their teens or 20s, in forever the marina, 21. It's like it's more like women in their 50s and oh, 60s ooh, that yes. are. Right. They're, all their bedazzled stuff. Yeah. In any event, those credit card statements and those payments for the apartments and the trips and maybe a car, maybe you got set her up with a car and all of those things, that's a misappropriation claim. So when the couple actually split, and that's revealed, then half of that amount needs to be paid back to the other party or the in, or the entirety of it to the community. That's another fun little divorce thing that we get into sometimes. I mean, sometimes people are siphoning hundreds of thousands of dollars to their mistress, and um, that money is retrievable. Unfortunately, if it's you know done with gambling or cocaine, it's gone. You don't get that back. You may get something under the breach of fiduciary duty claim, but if you can actually have the receipts for some of that misappropriation, you will get some of that money back. So helpful hint number 75 on the Divorce Sex podcast. Um, anyone that's dealing with a severe breach of trust in a relationship may not be able to see clearly in the moment, but if you can take the proverbial deep breath and count to 10 before you react, cooler heads often prevail. Sometimes you could go to your spouse and say, look, we're in this mess. It's totally your fault. Is there a way that we can get out of it on our own? Do we maybe hire a joint forensic accountant to help us? Could we still go to mediation, have a mediator help us out of it? It seems silly to throw good money after bad. Sometimes if the other person's kind of unwilling to accept responsibility, there may be the need to actually have an advocate that's really fighting for you. Um, the laws are different in every state, so do your research. Come to our It's Over Easy Insights blog and local court websites, other primary and secondary sources. Often you can get a consultation with an attorney at no charge because they want to kind of meet you and have you meet them and see what you think. If you have kids, remember that the person you're divorcing is someone you're probably going to see and hear from in the foreseeable future. It doesn't end when they're 18. There's still high school graduations, college graduations, weddings, births. Um, and remember that regarding child custody, a crappy spouse doesn't always equal a crappy parent. Compile what you have, put together what you owe and what you spend and what you make. Um, and then use that information to negotiate a settlement with your spouse if you can. Um, it's over easy has support calculators to help you figure out how much you or your spouse might have to pay in support. But there's also programs like DisoMaster that can help you with that. Um, self-help centers at, at the courts have those on every computer. If you have any questions, you can contact our support team who won't give legal advice but can answer your questions as you go through your divorce on the site. I guess what I'm trying to say is educate yourself. Get information, 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 because all of that will help you figure out how to best tackle what is this problem that you have, which is trying to get through the untangling of this marriage and to the next chapter of your life. We're speaking today with divorce attorney Stacy Feinberg. Uh, she is the head of the Family Law Division at Cypress LLP in Los Angeles. Angeles. 
She brings 15 years of sophisticated civil litigation and family law experience to her firm in the areas of asset division, spousal support, division of complicated business entities, and custody. She's recognized by super lawyers as a rising star in family law, and she's a published writer and a former stand-up comedian. We're getting her back in the game, though. She's written for galtime.com, and her article about sperm donation laws has been featured on Huffington Post. Tell us why you got into family law, this area, and the article that you wrote, maybe it's more specifically about sperm donor laws. Well, I got into family law because civil litigation at a big firm is miserable. And I had a mentor at the time who I think you know, um, Nabil Abu Asal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so he was my mentor right out of law school, and I was so miserable, and he knew it, and I was working on a case that involves some family law issues. And uh, the attorney that we had brought in to help on that case had offered me a job. And at that point, I was like interested in family law and the opportunity presented itself. So I went and sort of learned how to do family law. And it was when I moved to Colorado that I started exclusively practicing it when I really sort of hit the ground running. Um, And when I came back to California, I was pregnant. At that point, Nabil had left the big firm we were at, and he had started Cypress with a group of, of partners from the old firm. And they did not have a family law department. And he, I had talked to him on the phone, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm well into my second trimester. I, I don't think I'm, I'm going to you know, start working. I think I'm going to wait until after the baby's born. Um, I just bought a house. I'm going to you know, nest. I'm going to get the house ready for the baby. And uh, I remember I was out shopping for furniture. I had, like, no furniture. And there was, like, a folding table from Home Depot and, like, boxes. It was My house was so depressing. So I'm like, I got to get a couch. I got to get a couch. So I'm out, and I'm at, like, a pottery barn or a crate and barrel. And I'm sitting on a couch to, like, test it out, kind of, like, jumping around on the couch. Uh-uh. And I'm like, this couch is comfy. I'm like, but it kind of smells like a homeless person. So I'm going to go try a different couch. So I get up and then I move to like a different couch. And I'm like, this couch is a little firmer. Also smells like urine. So I'm going to, I'm, this oh, is no. weird. And then I go and on, it's on the third couch. That you realize it was you. That I'm just peeing a little bit on every couch in Crate and Barrel. And... Um, and the couches were light, so I didn't really see it, but the last one was dark. And I'm like, oh, okay, because the baby was, like, pushing on my bladder. So it was at that point that I called Nabil, like, from Crate and Barrel. And I'm like, I need a job. I need to go back to work right now. And I need to make money so that I can pay someone to come to Crate and Barrel because I'm literally pissing all over the Crate and Barrel. And he's like, wait, what? What are you talking about? He's like, what do you mean you're pissing in a Crate and Barrel? I'm like, just give me something to do. And he's like, well, I got a referral for this crazy divorce case that they've already gone through like three lawyers it's going to be horrible and i'm like great give it to I'm me in. i'm in <laughs> so i went back to work like the next day and uh i worked all the way up until like a couple of days before i delivered and then uh it was after i came back from having my daughter that you know we decided to really create this department very cool Perfect, Sieg. Let's see what people want to know about in the blogosphere. We have a question from the at It's Over Easy Instagram about ovaries and eggs. Um, at James Lagrop asks what a right-to-live lawsuit is. Um, we've seen recently in the news there was a story about Sophia Vergara's fertilized embryos. 
Um, I know you wrote an article about that as it pertained to the uh, Jason Patrick lawsuit several years ago. Tell us a little bit about what a right to live lawsuit is, please, Stacey. Well, I think in, in the in the case of Sophia Vargara and Nick Loeb, uh, they were together. They were trying IVF. It didn't work, but they had a couple embryos left. Two embryos. They have names, right? Emma and Isabella. Oh. Um, that's just weird. <laughs> um, and they break up, and he decides that he wants to start a family with his embryos. And she's like, no. They had, I guess they had a contract that they, neither of them could do anything without mutual consent. Yeah, it's interesting. When you go to most of the doctors or clinics that specialize in IVF, um, um, egg fertilization, that kind of stuff, they will provide you with a stack of documents. And I've, I've had clients come to me and say, you need to look these over. I mean, they're contracts. So you get to pick. It's like a multiple choice. Like, what we what will happen if we break up? A, the embryos are destroyed. B, mom gets the embryos. C, dad gets the embryos. Or they name the people. Um, and you pick while you're sitting there getting ready to either go, you know, jerk off into a cup or be fertilized or have your eggs harvested and all that. What um, if it was like you get Emma and I, I get, get Isabella? Isabella. And, but most of the time it's it's – you know, you're sitting there, you don't have any legal advice, you're signing these things, and I think that is probably one of the reasons that we have these lawsuits. We have done many cases where people are arguing over either eggs or fertilized embryos. I think it's a very fascinating field of law to get into. I just, we don't do that much of it, but I have to imagine that at some point, some of the legislation is going to change because simply checking boxes in a doctor's office as to what's going to happen to what could ultimately become a human being one day is, seems a little bit fast and loose to me. And that's coming from me, who's kind of fast and loose already. So I, I don't know. It's odd. It's very interesting because I have a lot of friends who struggled to get pregnant um, and ended up doing IVF, sometimes with their own eggs, sometimes with a borrowed egg. I don't um, think it's borrowed. I think borrowed. they actually have to buy it. Right. <laughs> they're not giving it back. You don't get it back. Um, <laughs> and then also I have a lot of friends who went uh, and used a surrogate. Mm-hmm. Um, a and- lot? A lot. Because their bodies weren't or they just didn't want to? I had or? one friend who na- who naturally had two kids. Um, and Just got she- sick of peeing on couches towards no, the end? No, no. but her, after the second one, the first one was born a little bit early. The second one was born a little bit more early. Both kids were healthy and fine, but her, uh, her doctor said, you're done. Like, I'm looking at your uterus, and if you try and naturally have a third... It will fall out of you, it, possibly right, at a crate and it, barrel. Right. It could be a high risk. And so she chose not to take that risk. Got um, it. And then I have friends that have just been told that they're not, they're not going to be able to carry children. For one medical reason or another. I don't really have any friends that were like, I don't want my vagina to stretch, right. so I'm going to go pay $100,000 right. to have like Sally May in <laughs> Oklahoma carry my baby. We don't know anybody like that. In every episode, we like to interrogate our guests with some fun interrogatory. So it's your turn, Stacy. Are you still married? And if so, what's the secret to a successful marriage? I am still married. I've been married for 11 years. What's the secret to a successful marriage? I think it's expectations. Mm -hmm. I think whatever that thing about your soon-to-be spouse that you don't like, going into the marriage thinking that's going to kind of like get better or go away is a really bad 
way to think. I, you need to go into that marriage thinking whatever it is that you don't like is going to magnify, get worse, and basically take over your life. And you have to be okay with that or it's not going to work. And, I mean, like, for, for me, I'm very uh, – I don't like things out on tables. I like, like order. Sho- I like them shoved in drawers. The drawer oh. can be a mess. You can you open a drawer in my house, it's like a jack-in-the-box. It's right. like, <laughs> I just want it away. I want it in a drawer. I don't want to look at it. It's cl- I hate clutter. My husband is definitely a little bit on the messy side. And what he does is he does not put things away. He puts them in piles. Mm. So it could be piles of paper. It could be piles of just stuff. The piles – they were there when we were dating, and I, they, I hated them. They've only gotten worse, and I have had to just be like, this is who he is. This is who I married. I know that one day I'm going to walk into the house. There's going to be piles to the ceiling. It's going to be like a goddamn episode of Hoarders, <laughs> and I'm just going to be like, I'm going for a walk. And you're and never I, coming back. I know. I, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to try to find the biggest drawer in the universe to shove it all into. That's called a garage, by the way, that drawer. Right. (laughs) Somebody was talking to me the other day about that very thing, like what's the one thing that just you can't stand? And I was saying, somebody mentioned something about the way that he chews. He chooses food. I can't stand the way he chooses food. And my friend said, oh, thank God for for my husband. He doesn't chew at all. He just really throws it down his throat. So what is your favorite breakup song? Maneater by Hall & Oates. What would you say to cheer up somebody going through a breakup? And again, not like a client, maybe more of a friend or family member. I guess it depends on why they broke up. But I'm always like, you know, if people ask what happened, just tell them that you're a lesbian. Good. I like it. I like it. What romantic comedy, rom-com, could you watch over and over without ever getting tired of it? Have you ever seen Circle of Friends? No. With Minnie Driver? Wait, I feel like maybe It's from a long time ago. It's like accents there <laughs> what she's like she's like i don't know what this accent is she's like it's like bringing me to the top of the mountain binny that's what you can't have your big fat article she's irish yeah in that movie then is she well or not in real scottish? life oh i don't know i think know. it's scottish our nanny scottish lady. she is okay i love that movie i like movies with accents right. i like i try to believe i'm good at accents. You, that was very good you kind of sounded a little bit more like the leprechaun from the lucky, lucky charms Char- every but still, accent i do ends up Sounding that way. Remember, I love you, man. Where he was trying to be a Rastafarian, but he actually said, like yes. the leprechaun. Yes, I can do a really good South African accent. Let's the hear. The only word I can say is South Africa. South Africa. South Africa. Oh, ooh, good. So, like, where are you from? South, South Africa. Africa. But that's it. That's the only. It's, it's all I can say. So, if I want someone wants to cast me in a movie. As the South African, I can only have one line, right? And it's saying South Africa. <laughs> Stacey, thank you for your insight and your wit today and your South African uh, one-liner on Divorce Sucks. How can people get in touch with you if they'd like to retain you, speak with you, hire you for a stand-up routine after the show? Um, You can email my firm. Uh, The general mailbox is hello, H-E-L-L-O, at Cyprus. LLP, Cypress Like the Tree, C-Y-P-R-E-S-S-L-L-P.com. You can also Google Cypress LLP and get all my firm info and the numbers and stuff. So. And Stacy is Stacy No E, Feinberg. 
You can find therapists, co-parenting help, life coaches on the index. It's over easy's curated directory of professionals. It's over easy, but it still does take a village. If you're not a subscriber yet, what the hell's wrong with you? Tap the subscribe button. Tell all your friends to listen to the Divorce Sucks podcast. You can also ask me anything at It's Over Easy on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or leave me a comment on our Insights blog, and we'll discuss it here on the Divorce Sucks podcast. Thanks, and remember, you can divorce without destroying your family or bankrupting yourself. It doesn't have to be that way. We're putting the solution in dissolution, one breakup at a time, and we'll be right here next week, same bat time, same bat channel, to help make your breakup suck a little less. Mm-hmm.